Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's a special gentleman's hour today on Trending. It's an open line. Ask a therapist anything. If you have a question, number is 1-888-914-9149. We're going to talk about what guys fear about commitment and what makes them commit. Feeling cold feet? Well, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, but we're going further. The whole idea of commitment, whether it's relationships or anything in life, commitment's a real challenge for many men today, and it only becomes increasingly more so. So we'll get a candid therapist's perspective on that. Joe Socorro will join us in just a moment here. We'll also discuss why guy, what guys really want and need in a relationship. I am intrigued as a female. I love these moments where we get to dive into the male and female dimensions of needs, wants, desires, fears. And if you have a need, a want, desire, or fear, something getting in the way of maybe you committing, not understanding why you're having a hard time committing, or maybe you don't know what you want and need in a relationship, Joe Sikor is your man to talk to today. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. You can find him at joesikora.com. That's J-O-J-O-E, Sikora, spelled S-I-K-O-R-R-A, Dot com And he has a great podcast that you can check out by heading over to his website there. And his new book's coming out. The whole world's going crazy, but you don't have to. Perspective from Scripture and Psychology. And that's available next month. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. Joe, welcome back to Trending. It's so great to be with you. And I love this topic, the special gentleman. <laughs> I thought, is that me? <laughs> but, you know, we all want to feel special. We all want to feel good, both men and women. And uh, sometimes that's the first step is like what keeps a man from committing is because he doesn't feel worthy. He doesn't feel like he can commit. And that might have zero to do with the current relationship. It might have to do more with family of origin stuff where he never felt that sense of that he was good enough as a boy. So as a man, he's afraid of commitment. Okay, fascinating. You already cut to the chase so quickly with regard to commitment. <laughs> so you're saying family of origin along with really this feeling of unworthiness. Joe, in some ways, I think some people maybe hear this and it's always family of origin issues, family of origin issues. Um, where's the balance between blaming that and also maybe taking responsibility as well for that feeling of not feeling worthy and what role we play in moving beyond what may have been a wound from the past? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. The first thing I'd do is I would move away from the word blame. I, I think you can understand family of origin issues. We all have family of origin issues, everybody. Uh, some are very good, some are not so good, some are medium, and we can always move beyond them. 
So rather than thinking, oh, I can't commit because this was my childhood, we say, okay, I can understand my fear of commitment because maybe in my childhood, I saw mom and dad uh, split up. I saw them being unfaithful. I saw them in a raucous relationship. And so, you know, I just don't see that that's a possibility. But once you understand you know, your thinking and how your thinking has been formed in childhood, then you definitely can move beyond it. So I, I think that's, that's the step. So no matter where you are right now, your life can be more. You can live a life of healing and wholeness. So what you're saying is there's a difference between the influence that your childhood and your past family of origin has had versus blaming it and using it as a crutch or even to create a victim mentality for yourself. Yes. Yeah. God made us unbelievably resilient and we have great strength because especially of our faith in, in God, right? God's Holy Spirit living, breathing, moving in us. What can we not accomplish, right? And God calls us to a lifetime of growth. And I, I understand this both from a spiritual perspective, from my faith, as well as a therapist. I mean, I studied this stuff in great detail, obviously, because this is what I do day in and day out. But the brain has even not only a natural capacity, but the inclination to move toward healing. A and that's what we have to understand. The body, the brain, the soul wants to heal. And, and all we have to do is really open ourselves up to that, and it can happen. I know what I just said sounds super complicated. <laughs> In my head, it makes a lot of sense. But I'm thinking, I need about 48,000 more words to really make this clear right now. But I'll, <laughs> I'll try to as the time moves forward here throughout the hour. So, Joe, we're talking about family of origin impacting a man's fear to commit and what makes him commit. So in some ways, I think someone might listen and say, okay, so are you telling me I need to shrink in order to work through and even be open to that inclination to heal from whatever might be impacting me from my past and family of origin? Or is this something work that I can do on my own? Yeah, I think both. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm a therapist, but I don't go to a therapist. So I've moved beyond some of the things that were kind of hangups for me as a kid. I, I think most people really can. I think it comes to, it's a, it's a matter of degrees. I mean, I, I think sometimes I, I work with people, for instance, who have been horribly abused as a child, neglected, physically, sexually abused. And I would say, you know, from that, we need to probably get professional help. But as a child, if you said, gosh, my mom didn't pay attention to me enough, my dad didn't compliment me enough, whatever it is, usually those things with some understanding and some willingness to have a little insight and reflection and prayer, we can move beyond it. So it's not that we can't. We certainly can. It's just about knowing the difference. If you really feel stuck and you're, you're living in a world that you feel is insecure, you know, you don't feel good about yourself you don't feel that you're lovable, you don't feel that you can trust other people, then I'd say that's probably an indication that you might want to get some professional help to move beyond that. So warnings would be like a lot of insecurity in a relationship. Um, maybe where you start to have self-doubt or doubt of others. Those can be signs, not necessarily that they're in their very well maybe reasons and cause for a lack of doubt where someone might be making you feel doubtful of yourself or reason for you to doubt the other person. But these are really good moments to kind of maybe do a check and figure out, hey, where's my sanity here, right? And is this something I need to work on in regard to the situation? 
I think that is perfectly set. Yeah, I think you nailed it. A lot of times we think I can't, uh, I can't trust this person, or I feel rejected by this person. But the truth is, so often it's what we reject about ourselves. You know, it's our own insecurities that set us up. For instance, if you told me, you know, right? If you came to see me, Timory, as a therapist, and I doubt that would need to happen, but if you did, and after the first session, you got up out of the chair and you said, you stink as a therapist. I'm never coming back. You're awful, right? Trust me, I would not shake in my boots. I would not think, oh, I must be a terrible therapist because Timory just told me I was a terrible therapist because I feel secure about who I am, right? As a therapist, mm -hmm. as a man, for instance, right? So that wouldn't so easily move me. Now, this is an extreme example. But if, for instance, you're dating, let's talk about the dating thing. And somebody yes. says, oh, I don't know. I, I can't commit to you, whatever else. You know, that might likely be about them. You know, mm -hmm. that that is their fear that they're projecting onto you. So a lot of times when we feel hurt or rejected, it's the rejection that we feel or put upon ourselves. It sounds like a really complicated um, idea. But it's actually not. And I, I go through it when I'm doing talks in large audiences. I'll ask people, I said, do you think rejection is painful? And literally, it doesn't matter if it's a thousand people or a hundred people or 10 people. Everybody raises their hand and says, yes, Joe, rejection is painful. But it's not true. And I, I prove it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I won't go through the whole thing right now because it takes a few minutes. But it's really what we say about ourselves. So, for instance, to go back to our therapist example. Timory storms out and calls me a horrible therapist. If I really am doubting my prowess as a therapist, you could say, then that would really hurt. But if you stormed out and said, Joe, you're a terrible therapist, but I felt really qualified and I knew I was pretty good and there was evidence to suggest that I was a good therapist, then I wouldn't be hurt by the words that you said. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we have to step in and have that sort of look inside and say, you know, what do I fear about myself? What do I actually believe about myself? Am I rejecting myself? Do I feel myself worthy? So that's where it gets really complicated in relationships. You know, is this really a trustworthy relationship or do I just have an experience where I can't trust? So would that be a good example of um, a test? You know, so because the whole topic is what guys fear about commitment and what makes them commit. So would that fear of like, OK, someone's saying, hey, you're not committing. Um, or maybe you kind of recognize you have some discomfort in committing. Would that be a good moment if someone looks at you and says, hey, you're not committing and you're like, you know, kind of not really sure how to navigate that versus having the confidence to say, no, I am committing. You're just crazy or you're asking for something that's unrealistic, right? Um, would that be a good test to kind of figure out what's going on with yourself personally with regard to the commitment issue? I think it's really funny what you just said. Yes, I would definitely say you're crazy if you're in an early dating relationship, if you want to end hey, it. Hey, it's legitimate. <laughs> there are spouse hunters that jump in way too soon. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's legitimate. <laughs> no, there, there's a time. There's a time to actually step away and say, hey, this is not a good relationship. It's not worthy of my commitment. But men and women, and this is kind of where we're similar, there really are differences between men and women. You know, everybody wants to say, well, we're just the same. We're, we're really not. There are differences, but there are some things that we both hold in very high regard. And men really want somebody who they perceive as being trustworthy and faithful and reliable. 
Now, if I asked you, you'd probably say the same thing. Yes, I absolutely need somebody who is trustworthy and, and reliable. That's the breakdown, like what when happens, you know, a breakdown in, in a relationship. Let's say an affair happens. Horrible, terrible, right? Hurt, that, that the fallout of that. But the real difficulty for people to come back from something so devastating is that sense of trust. I can't trust. Now, again, is this person actually trustworthy and the trust issues are within yourself where you don't feel like I can trust life, I can trust other people? You know, that's where you got to have that conversation. And, and, and you sometimes you say, well, what's the evidence that I'm not trustworthy? Well, you were 10 minutes late for our date. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I see. That, that might be a problematic relationship, one that you step back from. But if you can really settle down and have a healthy conversation about trust and, and talk to somebody, and this is frequently, you know, what young couples do if you're dating. It's like, tell me about your life. What was your childhood? And if somebody says to you, oh, I had an awful childhood, uh, my mom and dad always yelled and screamed at each other, you know, my dad moved out when I was 11 years old and I didn't know where he went. You know, it doesn't mean that that person can't trust or be a loving, uh, you know, partner down the road, but it does mean that he or she, whoever it is, we're talking about men right now, he better be doing that work or have done that work uh, to to see if he has trust issues because that'll be really problematic in a marriage. Mm. Mm. And again, that trust issue—I mean, that is so fundamental. If someone's having a hard time committing because they question whether or not they can trust you, and that—that's legitimate, you know. And I think that that's where it's helpful. Where I think a lot of people, for some reason, Joe, um, don't have reasonable people in their lives that they're either going to for advice or that they have in terms of friendships, mentors, or family members. And so, yeah. a lot of people are feeling very insecure about making a commitment because they don't have people helping them to understand what is good to commit to and what is not good to commit to. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. And the, the truth is relationships, good relationships are so powerful. They, they yield so much benefit. I mean, literally, men live on average about five years longer if they're married. <laughs> you know, we have better cholesterol levels. We, we can survive any calamity, including cancers and everything else. So relationships were meant to be in relationship. And so it's a little bit disturbing when you see the divorce rate so high. You know, it's about 50% for first marriages, which is astronomical. And it goes up after that. So, you know, to really learn how to not only learn to trust to move into a relationship, I think that's easier. I think what's actually more difficult is to learn how to thrive in a relationship long term. That's where mm -hmm. it gets really complicated. Mm -hmm. And I want to come to that in just a moment. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. That's Joe Sakura. You can find him at joesakura.com. We've tagged him on social media as well as posted a link to his website. He has a new book coming out, The Whole World's Going Crazy, But You Don't Have to, a response from a scriptural and psychological perspective. And Joe, we're unpacking so many of these important topics during our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending. But hey, if you're listening, maybe you're having a difficult time with committing. Maybe you're not willing to 
to date someone because of your fear of commitment and you're wondering, what can I do? Um, we're happy to take your question with licensed marriage and family therapist, Joe Sakura, as well as we're diving into what guys really want and need in a relationship. Such an important conversation. So let's pick it back up, Joe. You were talking about trust and then transitioning into another perspective that I think men really do need to hear. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the first thing is, it, it, and again, it's a really a complicated thing. But, you know, sometimes, you know, when we weren't prized as children, you know, no parent is perfect, you know, so we shouldn't say, oh, my mom, my dad was awful. No parent is perfect. You know, we just have to be good enough. You know, we have to give enough security and attention and love and we'll be okay. But a lot of times when you find men in particular um, fearing commitment, it could be because they didn't feel prized or validated growing up. And a lot of times, again, this is an unconscious fear. We don't understand this consciously. You know, we don't say, oh, my mom didn't love me as a, as a long, young boy, so you won't love. You know, we don't do that. We just think, ah, I don't want to be married. Who wants to do that? So, again, we can overcome all of these things. Again, God made us wonderfully resilient. I mean, we can... We can heal from all of these wounds, whatever that wound is that you felt. But I, I think that you have to learn how to really accept and trust. And it's a scary thing. You know, one of the reasons why men don't want to maybe trust is, you know, they saw mom and dad and they were untrustworthy. But sometimes, you know, the fear or the hurt of a breakup can be very difficult. So even in high school, you know, I mean, you know how tough that is. I, I think that was quite honestly my most difficult years. You know, you're trying to figure out who you are and you get rejected. Uh, you know, it's like you start to form these opinions about yourself. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. I mean, I hate to say it, but that's in part, just in part, one of the reasons why we see anxiety and depression and even suicidal ideation way up right now among young people. You know, we've separated them from their sense of support and security. You know, they, they've lost that sense of commitment. So, you know, people are really struggling right now. It's interesting that you bring up the whole uh, breakup issue with regard to fear of commitment because we've seen these trends of someone goes through a bad breakup and they are just never willing to enter into another relationship um, they're very resentful and bitter because of it or just vow to be single for the rest of their lives. That's one thing we're seeing. But on the other end, it's been really fascinating to see with this whole gender theory crisis as well, uh, that a lot of the people who are struggling with their seemingly struggling with their gender identity have often been in relationships that ended really poorly. Um, it could be familial relationships, but especially romantic relationships. We're seeing this in particular with teenagers right now where they're quitting in some ways on relationships and even kind of doubting their femininity or masculinity. And I think it comes much deeper to that whole idea of what you said a moment ago of fear of commitment due to not feeling prized or valued, that we're allowing ourselves to feel so devalued. We question the very, you know, basic elements of our existence today of maleness and femaleness because of this crazy gender theory that's in the culture right now, when in reality, we're struggling with a painful breakup and rejection that we need to move beyond and really bolster um, our self-confidence and our value and self-love and relationships with others. Yeah, well said. 
I think one of the things, Timory, that makes it really challenging, if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, and I'm not here to talk about evolution, evolution per, spe, per se, but, you know, a hundred years ago or even less, you know, we all lived out on farms. Before that, you know, we were hunter-gatherers or we grew food, right? All of this stuff. But, you know, boys learned how to be men from their fathers. They went out and they learned how to hunt. They learned how to till the soil. You know, they did those things that naturally fed that sense of confidence. Oh, I know who I am. You know, women, the same thing. You know, they, they worked with other women. They, they learned what they needed to do. Men and women came together because our survivability was so much higher when we came together to bring our assets and our gifts to, for the common good of the family and the community and everything else. We live in a very different time. And again, from an evolutionary standpoint, this is like just a whisper. This, this is seconds of time that all of a sudden now dads go off you know, or moms go off and we don't see them for 10, 12 hours. You know, they commute to the city and they're gone and we don't see them work. Uh, they come home, you know, we're not doing these things together. So I think a lot of what has happened is we've just, you know, life has changed, <laughs> you know, and we're losing that sense of like learning to be men. My experience with with young people and, and more and more I, I work with more younger people now than i ever have in my practice you know teens especially i don't work with young kids but teens and stuff even if they come in with questions about you know and, and it's not that often it's, it's not that often but even if they come in and they say yeah i don't know about who i'm attracted to or anything else it's just their anxiety they're just trying to figure out who they are and sometimes this just takes a while. You work with them long enough. You make them feel good about who they are. You address the anxiety. You get them moving. You get them active. These answers come back to them. It's like, okay, I know who I am right now. I am a young woman. I am a young man. So mm -hmm. I, I think we kind of feed into the insecurities by saying, oh, maybe you're this, maybe you're not. Now you just got to live enough life until some of those answers are solved. That's Joe Sakura, licensed marriage and family therapist here on Relevant Radio. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. If you'd like to follow Joe and his work, find him at joesakura.com. He has a podcast that he uh, hosts as well. You may remember him from the Joe Sakura show before here on Relevant Radio. And his new book's coming out next month. The whole world's going crazy, but you don't have to. So check out joesakura.com to subscribe to his podcast as well as stay tuned for the book coming out soon. We're going to come back during our weekly Gentleman's Hour and talk about what guys really want and need in relationships and take your questions. So if you have a question for the therapist, numbers 1-888-914-9149. We're also taking them now on social media as well. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timmery, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. It's our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending, and you don't have to be a gentleman to call. You may be dealing with male-female issues. We will take your question, numbers 1-888-914-9149. We've been talking about fear of commitment and what makes men commit, but we're also going to talk about what guys really need and want in a relationship. On the line now is Olga from California. Olga, welcome to Trending. What's your question for Joe Sakura today? 
Thank you. I've been dealing with a situation for many years with my husband. He's a very good guy, responsible, very uh, good man with the kids. However, you know, since we got married, I've been taking a step back in responsibilities and conflict, communicating well with him. So every time that a problem rises, it's already because it's, you know, it, it exploded. And when we talk about it, we fight and he yells and, and, and he's yelling because of the frustration that we didn't, you know, we didn't anticipate the problem, you know, ahead of time because of my lack of communication. And what I've been discovering is that I'm afraid to talk to him now uh, because he, when I, I have a lack of attention to an issue, bills, paying bills or, you know, things for the kids or, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, they he, he goes crazy because he was blindsided and he doesn't like surprises. But it's hard for me to come out of it. It's mm-hmm. very hard. So I just need maybe a technique. How can I communicate better with him? How can I put those fears, you know, because that's me, the fears on the side. Yes, Olga, thank you so much for your question. Uh, Joe, Joe Secor here, licensed marriage and family therapist. Joe, if you want to summarize kind of the, the nuts of the conversation, nuts and bolts of it, and then uh, help Olga through this situation with her husband. Yeah, I, I, Olga, thanks for calling. Uh, I think what you're expressing isn't uncommon. You know, a lot of times as relationships go on, people either learn how to thrive or they slowly deteriorate because you know, we're not doing the things necessary to actually support and grow the relationship. And and here's what I'd want you to think about, Olga, because I want to break this down and make this really something simple that you can take away. Think about it as a ratio, a 10 to 1 ratio. So you can only bring up the problems, you know, that one problem after there have been 10 other uh 10 other experiences of positive communication or interaction. So a lot of times when people especially start feeling that there's tension in the relationship or it's not going too well, the mistake that we make, and again, I don't want to say it's a mistake to talk about problems, but the mistake is that we focus almost exclusively on the problems and we don't feel like we're treasured anymore. We don't feel like we matter. We feel like we're just a failure. And men in particular, I would say this, if men don't feel like they're the man, if they don't feel like, and I don't mean, you know, that what I mean is if they don't feel like they're that knight, if they don't feel like they're important, if they don't feel like they're good providers, if they don't feel like they can make you happy, and I'm not saying they should be responsible for your feelings, but then we feel like failures. And if we feel insecure about who we are, if we feel like we're failures, chances are we're just going to pull away more or just yell. And then after the yelling, what happens is we just create more distance and we just shut down. So let me go back to what I started with, because I know I said a lot right there, Olga. Make sure that most of your communication right now is centered around what is positive and what is good. Show him that you actually really appreciate him. Let him know with very specific things you know, about, hey, I really appreciate how hard you work or thank you so much. It means so much that you helped me with the kids tonight. Uh, Be very clear. It's like, I I just, you know, I think you're really wonderful. You're such a good person. I love how you are with other people. 
sometimes you might not feel that initially or right away because you're kind of mired in the difficulties of the relationship. But those feelings can be woken back up. And the way you wake them back up is by pointing out the positive. You need help to see what is good in him, and he needs to feel appreciated. And I want to back this up with scripture. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. I quote it all the time. Whatever is true and good and noble and beautiful and things to praise, focus on these things. It's a great psychological principle. In addition, of course, it's Holy Scripture, right? But a lot of times we just focus on what is wrong. So if you find that you're just fighting too much, focus on what is good in the other person. And, and then you're going to create that space where you can deal with the problems. Does, does that make sense? Thank you. I, I want to point to that. I, the last argument that we had, it does make sense. The last argument that we had, I work uh, with, uh, apply, I, I do therapy for little kids from zero to three years old. So I do like a child development therapy. So mm-hmm. I, I know how I talk to the parents and we always come back to the good things. So I told him, let's, let's revise and see the things that we're doing good. And he went and he, and he got mad and he said, paying attention to a good thing is like a waste of time because I, I don't want to get distracted. Those things are good. It's working good, but I want to pay attention to the bad stuff. So how do I handle that comment? Well, I, I would do a test with him. <laughs> and here, here's the test, simple test that you can do. You guys sit down tonight, and I, I, I wouldn't want this to go on for more than one minute. But for one minute, go ahead and point out what is wrong with the other person. Just go back and forth. Olga, I think you're a terrible communicator. You know, go back and forth. Now, I don't want you to do this long because it could set up the fight. Now, take a break, breathe deeply for a few times, and let's just say now spend a minute or two minutes and talk about everything that is good, that you love, that you appreciate in each other. Honey, I just love that you're kind to other people and strangers. Go back and forth. After that test, where you spend a minute being critical and focusing on what is wrong, and then you spend a minute or two focusing on what is right, see if you feel better. You know, see if that makes you feel closer. I can guarantee you, Olga, that after spending that time focusing on what is right and good, you will feel better, you will feel closer, you'll feel more committed to the relationship. So do your own test with them. I love it, Joe. It's very helpful and candid advice. And again, even when sometimes we try to work on the solution and you're coming to the solution on your own, but it's not quite working. Someone's objecting. I love this example as well of, okay, we'll try to do what that person wants. It really doesn't work after a minute. But that 10 to 1 ratio is so important, Joe. And I I need to remember this, um, that we need those 10 positive interactions uh, before dealing with a problem. And sometimes I think especially in marriages and relationships, any relationship, but especially marital relationships, we get so used to focusing on the problem, the challenge, the need, and um, what isn't done and what needs to get done rather than complimenting, appreciating, um, just having those good moments of enjoyment without having to need something from the other person. It's so important. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Joe Sakura, licensed marriage and family therapist. You can find him at joesakura.com. That's Joe Sakura, S-I-K-O-R-R-A. 
Com. We posted that on social media as well. We have a phone call coming in from Joe in Texas from Brownsville. Joe, what's your question today for Joe? Uh, hi, Timory. Hi, Joe. Um, so I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that you, you said before, you know, I, I'm 29. I'm in this urgency to get married. Um, I mean, I don't propose on my first date, of course. But uh, I don't know if, how, how can I fix that or is that an issue? And, and my second question is, what should I be looking, lo- looking, looking up for in, in a date or in a woman, in your opinion? I, I missed the first question. I, I heard the second one. What was the first question again? Uh, so I'm the type of person who, who's in an urgency to get married. I'm 29. Um, is that okay? What should I do? Oh, I see. If that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, great I, question. Yeah, okay. it's a great question, Joe, and uh, I like to take all questions from Joe's. Uh, <laughs> I I would say be you know when you think about your urgency to get married, I, I think it's wonderful to get married. I I think it's great to get married younger. I was twenty three when I got married. People look at me and go, "Wow, you were like a kid." No, I was ready to get married, but I I, I wouldn't let your urgency push you prematurely into into a relationship. Nobody likes desperation, men nor women. And if if somebody perceives you as being desperate, then they might look at you and say, wow, that man or that woman, right? In your case, Joe, is you. They don't know how to live alone. And they Mm. might be consciously or unconsciously thinking, boy, I'm going to be responsible for all of his happiness, you know, and his feeling good because he can't do it on his own. So that would be my concern about when you say urgency. Now, again, 29 isn't too young. I mean, that's a that's a great age to commit to a relationship. So I, I think that's fine. As to the second part of your question, you know, what should you be looking for? I, I would say this. One is we, you know, we get married for one reason and we stay married for other reasons. So the reason why you might be attracted to somebody in your early 20s it might have a lot to do with looks or anything like this. But, you know, at some point, all those things kind of diminish. And we want to be with somebody that we really feel can be a good friend. We want somebody with whom we can be playful. You know, we want somebody with whom we can share our deepest values and our hopes and our dreams. So I would say, look at your conversations. You know, are you actually able to share your values, whether that's you know, you're Catholic and you want somebody whose values really line up with yours in that way. But also that sense of deep friendship. Friendship is so important. And when you talk about friendship, it means the ability to talk deeply, to be very playful, to do new things, uh, you know, to have fun just sitting around and doing nothing. Uh, So I would, that would be my response. What do you think? Joe, that's exactly what I, I was thinking on. Thank you so much for your help. And Timory, keep up the great the great work you're doing here. Yeah, thank you for calling, Joe. And just a thought on that desire to be married, you know, feeling that sense of urgency at 29. I get it. I was 27, I think, when I got married, and that desire was so deeply there. And I think it's important and good to say it, to not be afraid of it, but mm-hmm. don't let it consume you as an identity. You know, let it be something that you offer up to God and pray to God and give to God, um, but don't let it be that thing you're chasing in order to be happier, to feel fulfilled. I think that's so important, yet that desire is such a good thing to have. And, you know, 
praying and leaving this in the hands of God. And I'm not a huge person for novenas, but there are times in our lives where, Lord, you know, I'm giving this up to you and I'm not praying this novena out of expectation totally that you'll just, you know, help me meet the right person at the end of the nine days. Maybe he will, but more so help to, you know, fill that peace that I need to prepare me if this is a mission that God's calling me to. You're listening to Trending with Tim right here on Relevant Radio. Okay, I absolutely love this next question, Joe. I'm getting a kick out of it. This is like a great male-female hour. It's our weekly gentleman's hour on Trending. And Amelia's calling. It has a question for Joe Secor, our licensed marriage and family therapist here on Trending today. Amelia from Illinois, what is your question for Joe today? And I'm laughing because I think this is legitimate, but I also get the challenge here. So go for it. Yes, thank you. Um, so I just want to start off by saying um, two things just before. Uh, after faith and family, um, business and nutrition are just what I'm all about. And secondly, I love my husband very, very, very much, but he definitely has a dad bod and it does bother me. And um, we've talked about it endlessly for years. I've tried to just be an example and be quiet about it. I've been verbal about it. I've, I, I've tried every possible way, and all I get out of him is about maybe two weeks of him trying, and then it's just he's content. Um, and if he doesn't hear it from me, then he just figures, oh, okay, she's good. You know, so I'll just continue to be this way. So um, his friends are of no help because they're all fat, and I just <laughs> I really don't know what to do, Joe. So. <laughs> I, Can I, I love start your with honesty. just? <laughs> I'm going to jump in, Joe, because I get this and I get it from the perspective. I'm not saying that my husband is fat at all. He's going to say, like, what did you say on the show about me today? But, like, that important thing business and nutrition and that thriving mentality and that hard work um, and, you know, that desire for someone who's going to push really hard in business and in, you know, physicality. I get that. And I just want to like say like, I get it. And then there's also the perspective of like charity at the same time. So I'm really interested to hear your perspective on this, Joe. Yeah, I I think it's a great question. And I, I love her honesty. So I, I would say this, first of all, generally, we have a pretty good idea of who somebody is. At least we should have a pretty good idea of who somebody is before we get married. If you marry somebody and say, oh, I'm going to turn them into a physical fitness nut like me, that's not good thinking because it's not realistic. You know, you're not marrying for some, somebody for who they are. You're marrying somebody for who you hope they will become. And that kind of thinking doesn't work. So I, I, my first question would be, was this somebody who he was a bit of a couch potato when you first started dating and, and when you were engaged? Uh, no. So he, he wasn't, I, I would definitely categorize myself as a fit nut for sure. But um, he, he, he was not to that level, but he wasn't a couch potato either. He was a, you know, kind of a weekend warrior, you know, whenever he could work out. And so he was in shape, in general shape. Now it's just, nope just let myself go. So definitely he was balanced, not, not one or the other. Well, let me ask you another question. Is there a reason why you think he might really be giving up on being physically healthy? In other words, depression. You know, sometimes when people are depressed, they just lose that energy, Mm -hmm. you know, when they don't feel fulfillment in the other parts of their life. You know, they're not going to go out and run and jump and swim and do all those other things. Do you suspect something else might be going on? 
Um, I would I would say in his defense, I would say it's it's time more than anything. He he does work a lot. Um, uh, he's a handyman in, in construction, everything. So his hours are definitely long. So, I mean, I will give him the time perspective that he you know, he does not have time necessarily every day to go work out for an hour or two. But that doesn't really stop him from, you know, eating junk outside of the house. So it's like, you know, at least get your nutrition down, you know, and and start from there. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if and just really I know I'm taking a long time, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel like maybe he um, feels I don't know if the word is threatened, but just like he's in competition with me because I I am I really am all about that. And um, I I don't know if that just he Mm -hmm. just maybe it shuts him down that I'm over the top with that stuff. I'm going to jump in real quick here, Amelia, because I want to answer this call. I think it's an important question. And, you know, again, it gets into that whole like dynamic. You want to be attracted to your spouse. Is there stress going on or depression on the other side? So we're going to come back with Joe Secor, licensed marriage and family therapist, continuing to discuss Amelia's question about getting her husband to work out as the dad bod kicks in and exercise and fitness is important to her. We'll be right back here on Trending. That's Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent. Happy Advent. I hope you're enjoying the Advent hymns this season. Before we jump too much into the Christmas, uh, preparing our hearts for the coming of our Lord at Christmas, you're listening to Trending with Timory. Joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist, Joe Socora. I've been taking your questions, and I am getting both like, I feel this question in my soul, as well as also getting a kick out of this question. Amelia from Illinois is on the line, and her question is, how can I get my husband to work out and get in shape? She shared that after faith and family, business and nutrition are so important to her. Staying healthy, exercising. Uh, it's a, something, you know, she said, like, I'm an exercise fanatic. And I get that. Coming from a dance background and being a Pilates trainer, I was totally embarrassing myself here, but I was talking to, like, my family the other day about different uh, career choices that you could make and what you would enjoy. And I said, you know, I am just so fascinated by the human body that, you know, I would consider becoming a masseuse if I could work with, like, people who had, like, these intricate muscles and they're so cool. It's like studying them, uh, to which my siblings and mom were all making fun of me that I was only going to be massaging people then um, that would be, <laughs> that would be, like, high-level athletes, to which Jim, my producer, just offered me Tom Brady and I said you no thank you I'll pass um but this whole question I think of fitness and the challenge it can arise with the dad body kicking in or even you know the opposite for women as well um and Joe you asked Amelia a question before we came on asking her if you know was this something that was a part of his personality of not exercising and kind of leaning toward just, you know, eating the junk food, being the couch potato, maybe starting to exercise and letting it fizzle out. And she said, no, this wasn't a part of him. So you were asking her 
about, you know, is he maybe feeling a little depressed or stressed? And she mentioned that she thinks time is a big part of it. So if we want to continue to unpack this, that would be great. Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's, it's important. Obviously, it's something that's really important to her. But, you know, we, we've got to sort of check our expectations. I mean, I started working out when I was about 10 years old, and I've never stopped. <laughs> again, because it keeps me sane, it keeps me feeling good. I like it. I need to be strong for a lot of what I do. But, you know, that's not my wife's thing. <laughs> you know, she, she's healthy enough and everything else. But I think sometimes we have to check and say, okay, this is something that's really important to me and accept the fact that it's not important to somebody else. You know, when it comes to health, I, I think the body is a temple. We, we should all try and strive to take care of our body. Uh, you know, uh, but so health is something that's important. But I think, you know, if I was working construction and framing houses all week, probably the last thing in the world I'd want to do would be, you know, work out on the weekends. And sometimes, again, when you're doing those jobs, I remember back when I was a cop, you know, I had to resist it. But sometimes you go, oh, I don't have time to eat something good. So I'll just drive through the drive through. Mm -hmm. And and so you end up just making bad choices and those choices become habits and it becomes a spiraling downhill effect. But I would really say here here would be my caution. Again, when we feel rejected, when we don't feel like we're important, when we don't feel like you know, the cat's meow, whatever you want to say to our spouse, we can shut down. And, and so I would say, make sure that you're really spending enough time praising your spouse, whether you're a man or a woman, praising your spouse, telling them how important they are to you, what you appreciate and love about them. And after all of that, then maybe you've earned yourself the right to say, hey, and about this health thing, and finally, finally, the last thing I'd say is try to find to do something that's playful together on the weekend. You know, I mean, a lot of people, I don't mind, but a lot of people, they don't want to go to a gym. But a lot of people, it's very natural to have a play drive, to go out and, you know, go hike in the mountains or go play tennis or do something fun. Because then when you're engaging in something fun and playful with your spouse, you're, you're increasing that sense of closeness, connection through play and health and exercise, and that's all good. Kind of a long-winded uh, answer. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Amelia? Is that helpful? And maybe give a different perspective, especially this idea of building up the appreciation, love, and importance of your spouse before maybe addressing the issue itself uh, as the shutdown may occur on his end with regard to feeling inspired to exercise. Yeah, I love it. I, I think I'll step it up even more with just level up for the, you know, just admire and admiration for him because I do, I do, you know, I appreciate everything he does for us and, um, and then maybe give it a go after, you know, maybe for New Year's resolutions and see what happens. But uh, just really quick, I want to say about the muscles thing, Timmy, you and I would be good friends because I am definitely fascinated <laughs> by muscles as well. So thank you I both know. very much. God bless you. Yeah. Thanks for not making me feel like a creeper over here, Amelia. Um, but you know, that fitness perspective, and I'll just throw one other thing, because I've trained a lot of people who have come to me um, in Pilates, people who have had you know, hip replacements, um, severe, very serious spinal 
injuries and um, spinal surgeries, uh, people who are like paralyzed in some parts of their body. And, you know, I see people who were never exercisers and show up and suddenly become think they're going to start exercising working with me. Or people who have been fitness fanatics or have had the habit of daily exercise like you were talking about, Joe. Everyone's different. And I really do like understand like not everyone who comes and trains Pilates um, is going to stick with Pilates. You know, not everyone who starts running is going to stick with running. And so I've really come to understand you've got to find what you enjoy or what fills that need for you because we know we feel good when we exercise, but not all forms of exercise feel great for our individual bodies. And for some people, high intensity exercise is actually more straining and more stressful and can not necessarily impact, you know, if someone's going through depression or whatever it might be. And so finding that niche of whatever it is, maybe it's just daily walks, maybe it's 10 minute videos that you do once in the morning and once at night, but really playing around to figure out what that is. And maybe that can be helpful if and when your spouse is ready to get to that point. You know, right now we're building out a home gym for my, for my husband, because, you know, that's just what will fit with our schedule right now. And having that balance of, you know, having a little bit of a workout partner because he likes the challenge as a man of having someone else to level up against and challenge him. I love to exercise and I love to exercise with him, but that doesn't mean that's what inspires him and is the best for him to exercise. Even though I'd love to work out with him or I'd even love to, you know, critique and give exercise routines, that's not what works for him best. So you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's been Joe Sakura, licensed marriage and family therapist. You can find him at joesakura.com, J-O-E-S-I-K-O-R-R-A.com. Stay tuned for his book that's coming out. The whole world is going crazy, but you don't have to. And subscribe to his podcast as well at joesecora.com. We'll see you tomorrow for the Immaculate Conception here on Trending with Tim Ray. And be sure to go to Mass. It's a holy day of obligation celebrating Our Lady who was immaculately conceived. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Thursday is the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Why do we celebrate this feast day and what does it mean for us who aren't the mother of God? Does it have any significance for us as Catholics? Is it something that we can aspire to? Well, join me Thursday as we unpack this great solemnity of Our Lady, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.